The Writing on the Wall, the Article 7 Podcast. Hello again, I'm Andy Jago, pastor of Bethany Lutheran Church and Preschool, and this is Article 7, my sermon podcast, and we are doing a long series called The Story. It's based on a book published by Zondervan, and it is giving us the main historical narrative of the Bible. We've been growing in our love for God and for one another by staying in God's Word throughout the year. And now we are on chapter 18 and going to see the writing on the wall. Now, normally, uh, each Sunday, what I do is, for my sermon, take a little bit of what's written in the chapter of the story. And in this case, it's a little bit different uh, because this uh, chapter 5 of Daniel, which my sermon is based on, is not really uh, the text that's in this chapter, chapter 18 of the story. I know lots of numbers to keep track of here. Um But in chapter 5 of Daniel, it's just like a little bridge section. It's summarized in chapter 18. I wanted to really bring it out because I feel that this is a main theme in the whole book of Daniel, mainly the kingdom of God. And that's something that's going to connect us into the main story when God enters the story and a new king is sent in order to remove the sin that separates us from our Lord. Well, that's all coming up. Right, right now, we're going to be hearing the, the sermon called Writing on the Wall. Little bonus afterward, uh, where maybe we'll hear C2W and the instrumental Just a Closer Walk with Thee. Apologies, I'm going to preach on a a section that isn't necessarily in this chapter. Uh, It's something that is uh, a bridge section, a small bridge section within this chapter. On page 257, it's summarized, uh, but I feel that chapter 5 of Daniel, we're familiar with chapter 6, Daniel and the lion's den. We're familiar with chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But chapter 5 really is, is a summary of the whole theme, something that's stretched throughout the entirety of the book, both in the narrative section at the beginning of Daniel, and then the second half of Daniel, which again is not in the story, but all these strange and apocalyptic visions that Daniel is given and then interpreted by Gabriel in the second half of his book. I believe that both halves of the book carry with it a, a theme that ties us to the kingdom, that connects us, rather, to the kingdom of God. And so bringing out that that theme, Daniel tells King Belshazzar the meaning of the writing on the wall and says, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. You have been weighed in the balances and been found wanting, and your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Thus far the text. Last week, the chapter, we were talking about the prophets, Daniel and 
or not Daniel, Ezekiel and, and Jeremiah, whose ministry overlaps with Daniel. If you look at those little, little pieces of those timelines that are at the beginning of each chapter, it's interesting to look at chapter 17 last week and chapter 18 this week and look at those timelines, or if you have a study Bible, to look at all these events and see how they overlap with one another. Daniel was one, in one of the first groups to be taken captive, and then uh, throughout the time that, that Babylon is, is reigning over the land of Israel, even up to the time of the, the time for the exile to end, Daniel is there. And Jeremiah gives the advice to Daniel and the captives who go with them from God comes the words of Daniel, uh, Jeremiah to, the, to Daniel and to the people who are with them to seek the welfare of the city. Uh, to, seek the, the, to seek its welfare and to pray for its well-being as well. God gives that word to the exiles. Daniel, the book of Daniel, is about God's wisdom. It's about standing up for your faith in a difficult time. But it's also about the kingdom of God. To an Israelite or Judean, to P Daniel's people, all visible signs that God had given of his promises to his people, the temple, the land, those were all taken away. But, but, in the book of Daniel, we see how God is living and active in all the world, not just in that one little piece of real estate, but he is the God of the whole world. And his presence is made known and felt through Daniel's story. To these four young men, that's Daniel, and then it's interesting, uh, you know, like I said, their names are fun to say, so we know them by their Babylonian names more, more so than their Hebrew names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. To these four young men, this is from Daniel chapter 1, verse 17, or the story, middle of page 250. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. So these words in the first chapter set up all kinds of incredible encounters that Daniel and his friends have with the rulers of the vast Neo-Babylonian Empire. And later, the ruler of the kingdom of Persia. Earthly rulers who are very successful, who have a lot of authority, who have so many riches. Now those are the people that we think we should listen to. That they would be a visible source of wisdom because they have so many uh, responsibilities and authorities, because they have success and they have power. Conventional wisdom would say they are the people that we should listen to, right? Well, sometimes we owe those an authority, as Scripture tells us, our obedience most times. Unless... Of course, the moments where we must obey God rather than men. And again, that writing to Jeremiah, uh, to the exiles from Jeremiah, really from the Lord through the prophet, seek the welfare of the city that I have sent you into exile. So even though they were taken away from home, they were to seek the welfare of those kings of Babylon and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. So what we learn, though, from the book of Daniel 
is that no matter how much earthly authority and power these rulers have, these rulers that Daniel and his friends help and pray for and seek after their welfare, we see who is really in charge in the book of Daniel. We see that very clearly here in Daniel chapter 5, where one empire gives way to the next. The fall of Babylon is preceded by the actions of this king through his arrogance and sacrilege, where he brings out the the holy vessels that were in the temple in Jerusalem and, and drinks out of them and drinks wine out of them. And suddenly these sacred vessels that were set apart for worship are no more than just party decorations and such to Belshazzar and his party. But then, if you can imagine this scene, you know, the party king, the one who enjoys a, a good feast, suddenly the expression on his face contorts. Scripture describes it as, as his face going to a deathly pale, a white, and suddenly he starts howling and pointing, and nobody else can see what he sees. So easy to write that off that maybe he had a little too much wine. But the condition doesn't change. He never sobers up, so to speak. And probably looked completely and totally freaked out. And it's in the midst of this that the queen comes and gives him the advice to seek out Daniel, the one whose wisdom was proved above all others in the kingdom, who knew something everyone else didn't. The power of his, the God, the power of his God shown time and time again in Babylon's recent history, in those past generations. And Daniel is summoned, and yes, he does indeed know what the king saw. He could see the writing too. And so he interprets it for the king, the handwriting on the wall. Have you heard that expression before? This person, you know, if you say, hey, get to know the handwriting on the wall, and that's an expression for it, you should know what's coming next and be prepared for it. Well, that's where Daniel chapter 5, of course, is where that expression comes from. And what is the handwriting on the wall? Many, many, tekel and parson. Many. The number. Counting. God has numbered the days of your kingdom, Daniel says, and brought it to an end. Tekel, a weight used in the marketplace. You have been weighed in the balances and found wanting, Daniel says to the king. Parson. Interesting. It's, a, it's an Aramaic word for division, for dividing, but it also sounds like Persian. Exactly the kingdom that was coming next. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Daniel says to the king, you have lifted, this is in Daniel chapter 5 verse 23, it's in our reading of the story for today, you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of the heaven. So the king forgot all about what happened to the previous kings he forgot all about the decrees that were made to worship the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What's more, Daniel says, you have praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron and wood and stone. While you do not see, while you do not know the God in whose hand is your breath, in whose are all your ways, 
you have not honored this God. So we tend to, to honor those things, like King Belshazzar, just those things that we can see in this life, right? The things that we think matter in this life. Money, authority, power. In the book of Daniel, golden stuff. And then the people who have these things. The people who have all the followers on Instagram. <laughs> the influencers. Those are the people that we, we listen to. But the Bible says, do not put your trust in princes. Psalm 146. Do not put your trust in princes, immortal men who cannot save. When their spirit departs, their plans come to nothing. Earthly leaders come and go. Influencers come and go. People who have stuff come and go. There's one God who is in control of it all. And the book of Daniel, I believe, applies what that means to us. So recently, I was called to do the funeral of someone who is a longtime member, one of, almost one of our founding members, Mr. John Burnell. And before, it was, it was almost eerie the way that the Holy Spirit, through a couple of ways, you know, called John to my mind before I got the, the phone call to come and, and to do the funeral. One was that he, he came up in, in conversation and another visit that I was making, right, Brad? <laughs> you know, came up in our conversation. But then there was, there was something that happened right around that time, too, where my oldest daughter had to do a project for... Um, her, her U.S. history class. And we had to take a field trip down to the Smithsonian Museum of History. So while the oldest, Lily, was working on her project, Claire and I were poking around the, the rest of that floor, the third floor of the museum. And you know that the, there's a display where you go through all the different combats, all the different wars, including World War II, where John Burnell, John Burnell's a veteran of. He was in the European theater toward the end of the war, serving under General Eisenhower. What he was most excited about, now J John did not like to talk about, I mean, in the European theater, there was a lot of harsh conditions on the battlefield. He didn't like to talk about it. But the one thing he was excited to talk about, and he showed me, is this small black leather-bound Bible that he was given, which had an inscription from President Roosevelt. And the inscription was pr the president commending the reading of the Bible and saying throughout the centuries, men of many faiths and diverse origins have found in the sacred book words of wisdom, counsel, and inspiration. It is a foundation of strength and now, as always, an aid in attaining the highest aspirations of the human soul. My goodness. <laughs> he understood, I think he was more... He was giving that to people who may not necessarily be Christian, but giving God acknowledgement, saying that there's wisdom, saying that there's counsel within these words. Contrast that with the, those that we were fighting against in uh, Germany, where, where John was fighting against those soldiers of Hitler. And in Germany at the time, Hitler and, and, and some of his folk uh, were really experts in propaganda. We're trying to reshape the relig everyone's religion into a religion of the state. That's why Christians, some of them were put into concentration camps with Slovaks and Jews and, and people of all different ethnicities and, and all sorts of folks because they wouldn't take an oath to the Fuhrer 
in their worship service. The Fuhrer was trying to, to center all religion around him. Doesn't that sound like Nebuchadnezzar or Belshazzar here who is arrogating himself? I'd like to think that maybe in his last hours in the bunker, maybe Hitler saw the large hand writing on the wall, many, many, tekel and parson, your days are numbered. God is the one who numbers the days of all the kingdoms of this world. It is God and God's kingdom alone that lasts forever. Dear friends in Christ, where is God's kingdom? Some would say, you have to build it here. There should be a, a, a nation that has a theocracy like ancient Israel. And that's where you will see it. Others would say God's kingdom is entirely in heaven and we'll never get to see it. But the answer is really somewhere in between. God's kingdom is wherever the Lord's presence, his wisdom, his love, his mercy can be found. So even in Babylon, even in Babylon, even though we're taken away from the land that God gave to his people, even in Babylon, God's kingdom is there. And Daniel and his friends show God's kingdom while they seek the welfare of the city. And while they pray for those rulers and serve those other rulers, those other kings. They were far from home, but they were clinging on to what was good, what was true, what was honorable, what was worthy of praise. Think of Paul's list in Philippians 4. Through those things, God's kingdom was shown by being faithful, not making moral compromises, they showed God's kingdom. By giving witness to God and praying, they showed God's kingdom in that foreign land. Daniel reveals to all those Babylonian kings the kingdoms that rise and fall through their visions, the visions that Daniel sees. But he also reveals that in the midst of these great empires that come and go, if you look at Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, Daniel 2, 44 says, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. It shall break to pieces all these other kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Dear friends in Christ, the, Daniel's chapter should get us excited that the king is coming. The king. Not those kings that rise and fall, but the kingdom that lasts forever. In the Gospel of John, this is much further on in, in the timeline than Daniel, but in the Gospel of John, under that last kingdom that Daniel sees, the Roman Empire rising, there is a dramatic scene in Pontius Pilate's palace where Jesus tells the Roman governor, my kingdom is not of this world. I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. And with only his earthly wisdom to work with, Pilate asked, well, what is truth? When the, it was standing right there in front of him. We know the truth because you and I are citizens of God's kingdom. We know our king has come. We know that all of our faults and all of our sins and impurities and unholiness have been refined They've been taken to the cross 
We have been made holy where Christ suffered and died and then defeated death for us. And why have we been refined? Why have we been made holy and set apart? It is to be sent into these kingdoms with the testimony that there is a kingdom that remains forever. The kingdom of God cannot be built as a nation on earth. It is not entirely in heaven. It is a little bit of both. <laughs> where through God's people, through you and I today, we show the kingdom, as Daniel and his friends did. We show that there is a living God through the lives and that we lead through our prayers, through our witness, and by seeking the welfare of the city where we happen to live in exile until we find our home in heaven. Wherever kindness and understanding prevails over bigotry and hatred, there's God's kingdom. Wherever people show love, even loving our enemies, and people choose kindness instead of pettiness and cruelty and revenge, there is God's kingdom. Wherever love is shown, wherever there's suffering and hunger and poverty, and these are confronted by the people of God who begin to collect and distribute and pray and love those people through our ministries. Something that's happening all month. You read your bulletin. And why do we do that? Because there is the kingdom. The same grace that cleansed us, renewed us by the Savior's blood, and then sends us out to build that kingdom here. All other kingdoms, we understand through Daniel, have their days numbered by God. But our number, well, look at Revelation chapter 7. There's the number 144,000, a symbolic number of those who have been sealed, those who have been sent out into the world, those who are faithful no matter what, even under the threat of death. And in the same chapter of Revelation, the very end of chapter 7, what's the number there? The number is multitude. There is a great multitude that someone can say, the writer of Revelation can see, that John sees, that he cannot count, that he cannot be numbered. That's the result of our work here on earth. That's the result of Christ's work on the cross and then the coming of the Spirit to send us out with the testimony that Daniel and his friends took through our work of seeking the welfare of the city, through our prayers, and through the testimony of our lives. The kingdom of God stands forever. No matter where Christians happen to be in the world, those empires are numbered. But we serve a Lord who is eternal. And a kingdom that we bear testimony to is eternal. And one of these days, dear sisters and brothers, through the work of our Savior and the work of the church here on earth, where he is, we are the, his body in operation, through kindness, mercy, and love, we ourselves will see that great multitude that cannot be counted or numbered. In Jesus' name, amen. 
And now may the peace that passes all understanding keep our hearts and minds forever on Christ Jesus.